Oh, Father, thank you so much that we uh, have you as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Thank you that you reign. Thank you that you reign in our hearts, the hearts of those that you have purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And thank you that your kingdom has broken through. And in this time of year, our hearts can be quite uns- unsettled, can be chaotic, anxious. Pray that you would uh, still our hearts before you this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to understand your word, uh, that you would uh, allow the truth, the rich truths of your word to be applied to our lives. And I pray that we would leave here later and go back into your world with the good news of the gospel and the good news of this time of year. And we love you, and it's in Christ we pray. Amen. I want to let you guys know uh, that next Sunday we will be here. Uh, same time at 10 a.m. Uh, it's a joy uh, that Christmas this year is on a Sunday, an opportunity on the Lord's Day to gather as His people. So I just want to invite you uh, here next week. If you are able and if you are in town, uh, we want to worship the Lord on Christmas. It's going to be a shorter service, um, but, but we will be here. And, and what, a, what a, a gift that we can have Christmas on a Sunday this year and celebrate together during a gathering uh, what next Sunday represents uh, for us. And so I do want to invite you to that. All right. Pele Yoetz El Gabor Abiad Sar Shalom. We're clear with that, right? Everyone, everyone good? Uh, that is uh, Hebrew uh, for wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and Prince of Peace. Um, most of us don't speak Hebrew or know the Hebrew language, but I'm guessing if you uh, paid close, close attention to that name, the very end may sound familiar because the end is Sar Shalom. That is Prince of Peace. Sar Shalom. That is the Hebrew word for peace. Most of us have at least been familiar with that word in our life. Uh, but Shalom, actually, uh, although it is translated peace, it's much more robust. Uh, it is much more than just the absence of conflict uh, or the absence of noise. Uh, shalom uh, means the presence of blessing, of flourishing, of prosperity, of safety. That's what is meant to be conveyed in that word shalom. It's actually the Garden of Eden. That is the premier picture we have in Scripture of shalom. It's what we were uh, created for. We were created for shalom, but the fall shattered shalom. It drove a division into all of mankind and into all of creation. And so shalom was shattered in the garden. But shalom is what we long for as human beings. Shalom is is a great longing of every heart in this room. It's a great longing of any person that you're going to be in front of in this next week. Uh, Our hearts are after peace. Our hearts are after shalom. That's why we say uh, when we uh, first come up to greet you on a Sunday morning, we say grace to you. City Church, and then the very last thing that we will say to you as we end our services today will be peace to you. 
go in peace. It's because we want to reassure the people of God that they have shalom now in Jesus Christ. In Him we have shalom. And so we want to take a look this morning at our Prince of Peace. It's the final name that we just heard about out of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Uh, this, this year for Advent, this is what we have done here at City Church. We've taken each week to look at those four names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and today, Prince of Peace. Sar Shalom is who we will be looking at today. This is uh, a prophecy. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Isaiah was written some 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah was a prophet, and this prophecy to the people of God uh, was for a great hope specifically here in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, that there would be a king that will be born. That there will be a son given, a child born to the people of God. And we know this is going to be a kingdom. We see there in verse 7, we see the word throne. We see the word kingdom. We see the word government. So uh, what Isaiah is wanting us to see is that this is a king. A son is to be born and he will be a king. And he will be a king in the line of David, which is also incredibly important. Uh, if you look in God's word in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, God makes a, a tremendous promise to King David that his throne would be established forever. That the Messiah, that the, the Savior of God's people would come from the line of David and that that Messiah would usher in lasting peace. David actually uh, had a son. He had a son named Solomon. Uh, many of you know that if you know your Bibles. And Solomon means peaceful. So was Solomon the one that the people of God were waiting for? We know that Solomon was a prince, but he was not the true prince of peace. And we know that because just like his father David, he was a sinner and he died. There was no everlasting throne of Solomon and actually, by the time that Isaiah has written this book, uh, the people of God have had numerous kings. They've had king after king after king after king. Some of them were good, but most of them were bad. And they all died. So this is, this is a people of God waiting for the never-ending government of increasing peace. And it's been elusive and then they hear this news in the midst of darkness, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of their own rebellion, that a son will be born on an everlasting throne. Isaiah is assuring the people at this time that God's promises will not fail. He's assuring them that God's promises will not fail at a time where they surely thought that they had. And there's so much that we can take from this some 700 years before the birth of Christ and now here we are 2,000 years after Christ's birth and we could still say the same thing for us. Have God's promises failed? And it sure seems like that on most days. And in our worst, in our worst of times and our suffering and our confusion, it seems like on those days has God's promises failed? But they have not. We have true shalom in the Prince of Peace. And so the, the good news for these people, 
in the time of Isaiah is the good news for us. And we have the Prince of Peace and His name is Jesus Christ. And so I want to consider this morning uh, with you, who is this Prince of Peace? Who is the one who is called Prince of Peace? In many ways, uh, the names that we've already looked at over the past several weeks build to this name this morning. Um, because uh, we can have wonderful counseling, we can have uh, the might of God, we can have an internal father, but none of that is going to matter if shalom is not restored to creation. All of that won't matter if shalom, what we were created for, is not restored to God's creation. Our hearts cry out for peace. Our world groans for peace. We are in the midst of a cosmic war. We've been in the midst of this cosmic conflict since the garden, since Genesis 3. We have an enemy. We have an enemy kingdom. We have to be aware and honest about this conflict before we can be fully appreciative and fully understand the peace that is promised in this kingdom of the Prince of Peace. So this morning, as we've done uh, every week up until this point, we're going to look at a different passage in the Bible to get uh, a better picture this morning of who is the Prince of Peace. That is the question before us. So actually, we're not going to go far. If you just want to flip a couple of pages to Isaiah 11. We're going to be in verses 1 through 9. I thought we could take a look at another one of Isaiah's prophecies. Uh, So we have one in Isaiah 9. We have another one here in chapter 11. And so in this chapter, we get a better look at at who is this king? Who is this king to come? Who is this prince of peace? And so as we take a look at Isaiah 11, uh, let me share with you the main idea of the message. If you are taking notes, it is this. Only the prince of peace has the wisdom and power to make enemies former enemies. Only the Prince of Peace has the wisdom and power to make enemies former enemies. Now let's begin with reading Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 1. It says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. We'll stop there. Who is this Prince of Peace? If if that's the question that we want to answer by looking at this passage, the first thing that we see immediately is that he is going to come from a place of incredible humility, of great humility, a lone shoot coming from a lowly stump. Now, just to put this verse into context, we are jumping into the middle of this story in many ways. And so, what does this mean? If you back up and look at chapter 10, what's going on just before chapter 11 is that the enemy nation of the people of God at this time, Assyria, Assyria is going to chop down the people of God. The people of God being a large tree will then become a stump. And this is actually a judgment against the people of God, that God has appointed the nation of Assyria to chop down the great tree that is the people of God into a lowly stump. But then we also see that this great forest of Assyria, this enemy nation that is large and huge and overwhelming, this great forest will be lopped down by God and destroyed completely. 
but we see that God's people, there will be a remnant, a stump, and the stump here in chapter 1, or chapter 11, verse 1, is called the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse is the father of David, King David, and so this is a stump of the line of David. It's not very impressive to think about, is it? This is not a mental picture when you think of a stump and a little shoot of green maybe poking out the middle. That's not an impressive picture. And in many ways, that, that is the point, that it's not an impressive picture. When I'm thinking about the, the little stump and a shoot coming out of it, it reminds me of a, a, a Charlie Brown's Christmas. Please tell me you've seen a Charlie Brown's Christmas. All right, we, we, we talked about Christmas movies last week. I didn't mention that one. The best one is a Charlie Brown Christmas. And if you've seen it, uh, then you know that when Charlie Brown goes to pick out his Christmas tree, he picks out the little one there. In the middle of all the big, impressive Christmas trees, he sees the tiny one. And he says, he says this, the, this little green one right here seems to need a home. And then his friend Linus says, I don't know, Charlie Brown. Remember what Lucy said. This doesn't seem to fit the modern spirit. It doesn't. And that is the point. Charlie Brown Christmas came out in 1965, and yet in 2022, a little stump, a little wimpy Christmas tree, it's not the modern spirit. Modern spirit is the biggest and the best and the shiniest. But the Messiah was born in an unimpressive, sparse obscurity. The Messiah was born in a lowly stable in Bethlehem. Isaiah is going to later say about Jesus that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him or beauty that we should desire him. And yet this humble servant with an unimpressive beginning is the prince of peace. If we keep going here in chapter 11, verses 2 and 3 say this. You look with me. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. We read in these verses that the Prince of Peace will be anointed. The Prince of Peace is an anointed one, anointed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the language of the Spirit resting upon the Messiah takes us right to the New Testament, to Jesus' baptism. If you read that passage in the Gospel, you see that the Spirit rests upon Jesus as a dove. It's the same language that Isaiah is using here. The fullness of the Holy Spirit rests only on Jesus with wisdom and understanding, counsel and might. And if you pay attention to those words, it's actually pretty remarkable that ties right back into what Isaiah is saying in chapter 9, that this is a wonderful counselor and mighty God. He has wisdom and power. He will desire to follow God the Father in all things. He will know God perfectly and delight in Him. This King alone will fulfill the royal law to love God with all of His heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if we keep going, here's the end of chapter 3 and verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3 and verse 4 says, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth 
and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. True, lasting peace is achieved through the Messiah's righteous justice. He is a righteous judge. We see in these verses that external factors do not matter to him. They do not impress him. What he is after is your heart. He is a prince that will search out the hearts of men. He's a king that sees the hearts of his people. We also see that his eyes are on the marginalized and the meek. And then we also see that the word of the Messiah, his very words that come out of his mouth, will effectively end wickedness. This is what the word of God is able to do. We read later in Hebrews that it is a living and active word. And so it's not a dead word. It has power. It is active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to pierce and divide the soul. At the end of times in Revelation, we find that Jesus Christ will remove from his mouth a sword that will strike down the enemies of God's people. And so maybe we're, at this point, a bit uncomfortable in some ways that we're here talking about the Prince of Peace, and this is a message of peace, and yet we're talking about striking and killing. But friends, if shalom is to be ushered into creation if it's to be brought back into our world, if order is supposed to come out of chaos, if peace and blessing are to rule, then we want God to hate sin. We want God to strike down the wicked because perfect justice equals perfect peace. Let's continue with verse 5. Verse 5 is going to show us the markings of the Prince of Peace. It says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. It's funny because the, the Apostle Paul will actually use the very same language in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, when he talks about putting on the armor of God. He borrows it right here from, uh, from Isaiah. The Messiah is adorned with nothing worldly. He is adorned in righteousness and faithfulness. Now I want to camp out most of our time in verses 6 through 9. Verses 6 through 9 are going to show us what happens as a result of this Prince of Peace ruling. Of this kingdom, when the humble, anointed, perfectly just and righteous Prince of Peace comes to rule, what we are going to see in, in verses 6 through 9 is that everything is radically transformed. Enemies become former enemies. So read with me, beginning in verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be, the, be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, whether you're a Christian or not, 
there's everything about this that sounds wonderful, right? But the, we hear these verses and, and immediately our heart uh, cries that. that. That is what I long for. This is what I want. This is how it should be. So the question is, how do we, how do we get here? How do we get this peace? How do we get this kind of peace that we read about in verses 6 through 9? Now, a couple of comments on this passage because uh, there's a little bit of, uh, not controversy, but more debate among, among scholars as to uh, whether or not verses 6 through 9 is to be taken literally or figuratively. Uh, in some ways, if we were to take this literally, that, that means that literally a cow and a bear will graze together or literally a child will be able to pick up a poisonous snake and not get bitten. So we could take this passage literally. We could also look at it figuratively. Do, do these different animals represent different kingdoms? And so what I mean by that is like uh, the enemy kingdom being represented perhaps by the wolf. So the enemy kingdom being a wolf that now dwells with the lamb that is the kingdom of God. Or the evil kingdom being represented by the cobra which strikes and kills being at peace with the righteous kingdom which is represented by the child. I'm persuaded uh, actually that Isaiah is speaking more figuratively than he is literally, although I think you can make the argument for both. I think he, what he is saying is that enemies will one day be brought together in peace. That now there are enemies, but one day we can look ahead and there will be peace between enemies. The, the other thing I want to uh, point out in this passage <clears throat> is that there is an already but not yet aspect to this passage. We, we say that a lot, the already and not yet. Uh, and what I mean by that is that the kingdom of God has broken through today. The kingdom of God is upon us. And yet, even though we have seen partial reconciliation between fellow men, we have not seen this. We have not seen what Isaiah is writing about in chapter 11. We have not yet seen the fullness of peace. We have not yet seen the fullness of shalom. And so that is, is exactly why our hearts ache this morning. It's exactly why we long for more. It's exactly why we want more. So again, I'm going to ask the question, how, how do we get this radical peace? How do we realize this in chapter 11? We know that we, know that we live in an age where uh, people are desiring more and more to uh, live out of this narrative that they can create their own identity, that they can, can create meaning in life. Uh, this is an age where we hear a lot about your truth and my truth. It's an age where we hear a lot about spiritual transcendence, where we can coexist with one another. We strive toward a utopia here on earth. It doesn't work that way. It's been tried. It's been tried for millennia. And it just doesn't work. No matter uh, what the person who has the coexist bumper sticker on their car wants you to believe, it does not work. 
The reality that Isaiah chapter 11 is pointing to is that an untransformed bear will never just coexist with a cow. We can't just have a wish dream that the lion and the ox can hug it out. Or that the lamb, if, if the lamb would just go through some training on tolerance, then the wolf won't eat him. We know it doesn't work that way. The Christian knows that radical transformation must take place to make enemies former enemies. Radical transformation. The Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ and His kingdom is the only path for true peace. And we can uh, appreciate what these other worldviews are desiring. We can appreciate what other religions are offering, that, that there is a desire for peace. But we, as the people of God, must be bold to stand on the truth. The truth. There is only one creator of meaning and identity. And that is not us. God is writing the story. God is writing the story that will one day usher peace into the hearts of men that we long for and that our world longs for. Reading a fantastic book called uh, Telling a Better Story, and the author, Josh Chatraw, says this. It's a, it's a book about the Christian story. It's in many ways uh, meant to encourage evangelism and apologetics. How do, we, how do we show that there's a better story? to a culture that is believing their own false stories. And so here's a quote from this book. He says, The heart of the Christian story is a person whose love drove him to teach that there are paths that, if chosen, will ruin you. In his love, he warned against the brutality of false gods and false stories and offered himself as the true God and the true way. And his way did not lead to shedding any blood except his own. The cross. The cross is where the enemies of God are radically transformed and brought into the peace of God. Jesus gave up his place in heaven to come low to earth to be a shoot from a stump. That's Jesus. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He walked perfectly in the fear of the Lord all the way to hang on the cross where his incredible mercy touched his righteous justice. God's wrath was poured out, not against us, not against you and me. We, we obviously observed it, uh, uh, deserved it. All of mankind born under the wrath of God, but he poured his wrath on his son. The cross is where those who align themselves with the enemy kingdom are brought near the Prince of Peace, radically transformed. That's the good news this morning. Only the cross is where the wolf, the bear, and the cobra can get new hearts that love God and love his peace. And this is why we celebrate Advent. This is why, because the Prince of Peace has come. This peace has come. It came 2,000 years ago when he was born to Joseph and Mary, and it's why we long for him to return. We long for him to return to uh, see his shalom be brought into fullness, to see his peace and shalom be fully realized in our world and in our hearts. And it's going to be on that day 
as we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ, that there will be no more Tuesday morning tornadoes. There will be no more children taken by FedEx drivers. There will be no more hopeless thoughts that end in suicide. There will be no more manslaughter or murder. There will be no more flu or RSV or COVID. There will be no more estrangements. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more layoffs. There will be no more death. The Prince of Peace, of His government and of His peace, there will be no end. Again, there is, a, there is an already and not yet reality to the kingdom of God. So we can be encouraged this morning that this Prince of Peace rules today. The kingdom is at hand. And so as we wrap up our time this morning, I want to ask, where is this peace in our lives today? If shalom is available to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, where is it in our own hearts? Where is it in our relationships? Where is it in our world today? There are three spheres where the Prince of Peace rules in the Christian life. The three spheres are that you now have peace with God, you now have peace with others, and you have peace with yourself. So let's look at those three spheres that the Prince of Peace rules. First, we have peace with God. We must know that since the fall in Genesis, the, the enmity that that Genesis talks about, the war, the conflict has been between God and the serpent. And yet all of us, as I mentioned earlier, are born with an allegiance to that kingdom. All of us are born to an allegiance of the serpent. And so if we're going to use this illustration from Isaiah 11, you might say that we are all born wolves, bears, and cobras. We've rebelled against our creator. We did what we thought was right in our own eyes. We were at war with God, but the gospel is a gospel of peace. Shalom has come into the hearts of those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 say this, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above repro reproach before him. It's easy for us to say now, those of us who have been transformed by the gospel, it's easy for us in many ways to say it is right for God to hate sin. It's right for God to punish the wicked, but please, may we never forget that that was us. We could rightly say that God is just to punish the wicked, to strike them down, but never forget that that was you and me before Christ ransomed us. Instead of striking us dead, He struck His Son dead. Instead of our suffering into death and to eternal punishment, He sent His Son to the cross where He struck His Son and the Son's blood signed a peace treaty for us. Enemies are now former enemies. We've been radically transformed. 
were radically transformed wolves now dwelling with the lamb. And so we rejoice in that. That is what we rejoice in. Think about that next Sunday, December 25th. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Amen? Peace of God also allows us to have peace with others. They're related. Uh, You really can't truly have peace with others unless you have peace with God. But now that we have peace with God, we are free. We're free to love our neighbor as ourselves. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's probably the verse that we all need to take into dinner next week with our family. Romans 12, 18. This means in the face of opposition and strife, we can be a peaceful presence. That's our stance now. Does it mean that we lose our convictions? Does it mean that we waver on the truth or waver on what we believe? But because we are reconciled to God, we are free to love others. And the way that we love others is that we share the same gospel of peace that saved us. That's how we love others. We tell them about this this Prince of Peace, this gospel that has saved our souls. That means that within the church, here at City Church, in the body of Christ, we have peace. We have peace and unity. And so the call is to strive, to continue to strive for that unity and peace that we have. We are now peacemakers in the midst of any conflict that threatens our unity. We can wear that banner proudly. We are peacemakers, beloved. We are peacemakers because of the gospel of peace. Finally, we, we know that we have peace with ourselves because of the peace that we have with God. If the Prince of Peace rules in your heart, then you can have peace with yourself. And what does that mean? What do we mean by having peace with ourselves? Before Christ came for you, maybe you didn't know this, but you were at war with yourself. And the reason I can say that you were at war with yourself is because you were created in the image of God to worship God. You were created to worship Yahweh, and yet you've betrayed your true self by walking in sin. But now, in Christ, your heart has been made whole. Your heart's been made whole, and you are fully given to worship Christ by the Spirit. This is why, if you're a believer, that if you continue in sin, there is no peace. You don't experience peace when you walk in sin, because that's not who you are. When you sin, your conscience is screaming. Your conscience screams, this is not okay. It says, go back You have the peace of Christ. Walk in that. Put to death the deeds of the flesh that are at war with your soul. Some of of you this morning may very well be in inner turmoil. Might be in inner turmoil. You might look peaceful on the outside, but inside is a raging storm. And friends, I've, I've been there many times. I know, I know what it's like to present peace, to present order, and on the inside, things are churning and anything but peaceful. You might have intrusive thoughts and unwanted desires that keep ripping at your soul. 
might keep uh, indulging in that habitual sin over and over again. It's getting the best of you yet again. You have anxiety. You're, you're at your wit's end with anxiety. If that's you, can I encourage you this morning? Can I encourage all of us this morning? That if you are found in Christ, you are no longer under the rule of the serpent. You are no longer ruled by sin. The dominion of sin has ended in your life. You are ruled by the Prince of Peace. And He has given us repentance. We talked about it earlier as Chris led us through Psalm 32. We, we have our confession in Christ and He freely forgives us and He freely gives us His peace. Will you walk in that peace this morning? Will you walk in that peace this week? Will you walk in that peace for your lifetime before Him? True shalom. You have true shalom with God, with others, with your own heart. You have unending and increasing peace. It's what we are promised in Isaiah 9. We have former enemies now dwelling with one another, lying down next to each other in quiet play with one another. Going back to a Charlie Brown Christmas, at the end of that movie, we see Charlie Brown's unimpressive little Christmas tree, and Linus comes over to it and says, I never thought this was such a bad little tree. It's not bad at all, really. Friends, this little shoot rising out of a stump, it's really not bad at all. His name is Jesus Christ. This little stump coming, this little shoot coming out of a stump is our Prince of Peace. And so let us thank God as we go to Him in prayer for that. Oh, Father, thank You that peace rules in our hearts, that peace rules in the hearts of men that You have reconciled unto Yourself. And so I pray that in this season and in our entire lives that we would constantly come back to this good news, that the war has been won. Yes, we know that it won't be fully realized that this shalom that our hearts long for, that the world is craving and yet doesn't know how to get, we know that one day we'll fully see it and we'll fully realize it. We know that, that chaos and death and illness and sin will be no more. So we long for that day. This is what our, our hearts want is the second advent where you come again. And so while we wait, as you've called us to wait, I pray that in the midst of a world that is hostile to your peace and in our own hearts where we uh, still are dealing with our own sin, that we would be reminded that the war is won and your peace has been achieved. And we can walk in that peace. We can walk in that shalom. That we have peace with you. We now have peace with one another. And in our own hearts, we now have peace where chaos once ruled. And so I thank you that we can go forth in peace, knowing the riches of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, is for us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.